Welcome to Halley HealthCast, the wellness podcast from Halley Health, your partner in helping you live your healthiest life. Every episode on our podcast addresses a new topic important to your health and well-being, bringing in expert doctors, therapists, and specialists who offer advice and answer your most pressing questions. May is Mental Health Awareness Month, so today we're discussing mental health its impact on our day-to-day lives and relationships, the stigmas and barriers associated with diagnosis and treatment, when and where to seek help, and a whole lot more. Here with us are two experts. Dr. John Beck is a psychiatrist and the medical director at Health Alliance in Champaign, Illinois. And Devin Richardson is a licensed clinical social worker and supervisor of specialty care coordination programs for Halley Health in Champaign. Welcome to you both, and thanks for being with us today. Let's begin with some basic mental health awareness. Dr. Beck, most of us are quite familiar with prioritizing our mental health on a daily basis, but many equate the idea of mental health with mental illness and put it out of mind, if you'll pardon the pun, until or unless forced to deal with it. But there's more to it than that, isn't there? What exactly is mental health? This is a big term. And why should we be aware of it? I think, yeah, as as you're saying, mental health is a tricky topic for people because it covers the range from stress, you know, just the simple, normal stress of life and, and dealing with challenges you may face all the way to an actual maybe illness that's that's really interfering with a person's ability to function and kind of talking about how or where that may happen i mean when you look at the prevalence of you know what we would call mental illness in a general community you know usually they talk in terms of 20% or so what that means though i mean if if you're looking at it on a family level or community level it might be that a family has a child with ADHD and, and is causing struggles or challenges at school and meetings with teachers or things like that. Or it might be that someone has a family history of drug or alcohol abuse, and maybe they're dealing with some of the ramifications of that, maybe things they experienced growing up, or it could be, you know, coming to grips with their own use of substances and, and trying to you know, understand is that, is this a problem or is this normal? You know, you have, you know, issues with anxiety or depression. Well, a certain amount of that is normal, you know, to feel sad or feel down about something. But when, you know, when it starts to go on and interfere, you know, often the the cutoff point for depression is two weeks, which is somewhat arbitrary. But when a person is, struggling and it's going on for weeks and they're not sleeping and they can't concentrate and they're, you know, their mood is very low and they can't enjoy things. Well, that's, you know, that's when it really starts to interfere. And I, you know, studies have shown that when you really look at people who have, who have developed, you know, mental illness, it's really significantly interfering with their work or with relationships that it's years before they get any help because it takes a while for the person to recognize maybe that they need the help. And it may take them a period of time to actually get the help they need. And so uh, it can be a while and, and it, you know, and that has consequences. And, and so I think it's probably the, the 
rare family that doesn't have anything, you know, at all. I mean, I would periodically in my practice meet people who said they had absolutely no history of anything in their family, anxiety or depression or substance use or anything, but they were pretty rare. And, um, I wasn't, and, and part of the issue is sometimes it's hard to know what has happened in a family because people don't necessarily talk about it. You know, you go to your family reunion and everybody's going to talk about their latest broken bone or their latest surgery, but they don't necessarily talk about their latest mental health visit. And, um, so, and, and we know that some of the more serious mental illnesses have a genetic component to them. So the family history is very, very important in trying to understand symptoms somebody is having. I mean, when someone would come into my practice and they would, were having symptoms of depression, it was very important to know, well, had they, did they have three relatives who'd been hospitalized for depression or not? Because if they did have that strong family history, then I would look at the depression differently. You know, I would, I would be more wary of just saying, well, it's just a normal process. So it's, it's kind of understanding the prevalence of these different illnesses out there and being aware. And I think as a family, be aware kind of what runs through your family. You know, if we know anxiety runs through the family and we have a five-year-old starting kindergarten and they're anxious, well, it, it kind of fits, <laughs> you know, that if, if that's part of the family and it kind of helps bring, not closure, but helps families understand because I think people, particularly parents often blame themselves. Well, you know, if I did this instead of that, well, then maybe my child wouldn't be having these attention span problems in school or behavioral problems or anxiety problems. But then when you talk to them, you realize, well, gee, this has gone through, you know, three generations of people with these kinds of difficulties. It helps the parents because they know, well, it wasn't just something I did wrong. Because I know with parents, that's often the concern that they think they caused the problems for their kids. Thank you, Dr. Beck. Wonderful in-depth explanation. So, Devin, it looks like the state of our mental health can have some far-reaching implications. What kind of impact can mental health issues have on our daily lives? Great question, Caitlin. Um, Again, we're going to look mostly at thoughts and behavior here because our thoughts and behaviors are with us every single second of every single day. So if you are in a pretty healthy mental health space, then probably your thoughts are going to be more appropriate, more positive, and and kind of then been into more positive behaviors and, and better functioning. Whereas if you're really in the trenches with those more negative symptoms of a mental health diagnosis, that's when we get into unsafe thoughts and behaviors, or if not unsafe, at least negative thoughts and behaviors that can really diminish the person's ability to, to function just in their day-to-day lives. Well, it's a lot to consider. Thank you, Devin. Dr. Beck, with so much at stake with our mental health, clearly getting help when it's needed is critical. But unfortunately, there's still a great deal of social stigma associated with seeking treatment for mental and behavioral problems. How do you respond to those concerns? Well, I I think that's a, a really good point, Caitlin, because certainly in my practice through the years, it's it's very difficult for people to kind of, I guess, kind of cross that threshold to get to decide they need help to come in and see a, a mental health provider of some type. I mean, and so 
I think you have a lot of people who aren't getting services they need. So I think there, there's that in the sense of people's kind of reluctance to, to go there. But then I think in addition, you have just resources for mental health treatment have often, you know, been hard to come by, so to speak, in terms of wait lists. You know, very often when people are, are contacting for mental health services, it's, it's, it's pretty urgent because people have generally waited until it's reached somewhat of a crisis point before they decide, okay, yeah, I need to get help. But then if they get told they can't see a provider for four months, that's very discouraging. So I think, you know, we as a health plan, and, and I know the different provider systems have been working with, well, how do you really address that? How do you get people the care they need when they need it? And I think through, through our health plan, as I was saying before, we have MD Live where, you know, you can get virtual behavioral health care, you know, within a matter of a couple of days, you know, the whole spectrum of care. And I think that's been real critical because with the pandemic, um, it's made people much more comfortable with the idea of thing, doing things virtually. And I was talking with uh, a provider system recently and everything had been, or most of their care had been done virtually for, you know, a period of a couple of years with the pandemic. And as they were opening their offices, they found the significant number of, of patients and providers liked virtual work. And so even though they could drive in and see their provider bricks and mortar, so to speak, they actually liked virtual. And I think that's been really helpful because I think it's opened up opportunities because Behavioral health is one of the areas of care, I think, that lends itself to a virtual service. And then as Devin was saying, too, and can elaborate through Hallie, you know, our members have that ability to access behavioral health things virtually. So, you know, you can research things and you can look to see what, you know, opportunities are, or alternatives. And as I said before, you always have the, the fallback of talk to your primary care physician. And I know it's a little trickier because a lot of young people don't necessarily have a primary care physician. But, you know, for people that do, I think they can be a really good resource, both in terms of helping understand, well, gee, am I, am what I'm experiencing kind of, do I warrant anything, <laughs> you know, or is this just normal? So, uh, as I said, you have a number of places to kind of access care now that even pre-pandemic weren't as available. You know, before the pandemic, virtual care was extremely limited and, and hardly ever utilized. And now it's become really part of the mainstream, which I think is, is good. Yes, thank you, Dr. Beck. It's so important to remember, especially those virtual options. That's actually how I do my own therapy sessions. And it's just so nice to be able to do it from home. I, I think just absolutely because it, it, and it also addresses people's concern for privacy. I mean, I had patients say to me that where I, where I was working for a period of years and was by a busy main street, you know, thoroughfare. And they didn't like coming into the building because, you know, maybe a hundred cars would drive by as they were waiting across the crosswalk and walk into the building and they didn't want to be seen. And they wanted that privacy. And that was hard to give them because we didn't really have a lot of options. But now you do. I mean, you can literally get care 
and never set foot in maybe a designated facility that would make you uncomfortable. That you know you want your privacy because certainly with behavioral health issues, people, not everybody, but but for some people, the the privacy is exceedingly important and it really drives whether they even get care or not. Absolutely. Just knowing we have all these options for services is so helpful. So, Devin, in addition to the social stigma associated with mental health, there's also the frequent misconception that only certain people struggle with mental health issues, particularly people who perhaps aren't like us. But isn't it true that all types of people, younger, older, people from all backgrounds and life experiences struggle with mental illness issues, right? Oh, absolutely. I've had the privilege of supporting people as young as three years old and folks well into their 90s. So mental wellness issues can really impact anybody really at any age and any background, as you're mentioning. So it's definitely not a discriminatory disease in that sense. And, you know, I think that the more that people get the message out there that everybody probably at some point or another in their life is going to have some struggle with mental health symptoms, that can really show people what a global issue it is and hopefully help eliminate some of those misconceptions. Thank you, Devin. A very, very timely reminder. Well, Dr. Beck, since mental wellness issues can affect even children as young as three, like Devin mentioned, we touched on this. But again, what should parents and guardians know when it comes to mental health? I think if, if, you're, if you're talking about with your children, I think there's, as a parent, you, it's hard to, to necessarily be incredibly objective because you don't you just don't have the information so if you have a child and and maybe they're struggling with attention span or they're struggling with behavioral issues or they're having a lot of anxiety it's hard to know well what's normal maybe that's your only child or you have two children or whatever and i think that's where schools can be a resource too in terms of talking with the teachers or talking with mental health services through the school and say gee my child is you know having this level of anxiety you know, related to school is that, what do you see? How does, you know, I would often ask teachers when I was talking to them about a child I was treating, well, how does this child fit in the scheme of, you know, you've been teaching for 10 years, 20 years and their level of symptoms or distress, how does it compare to what you normally see? And they would say, oh my gosh, it's the top 1% or, oh no, this is what I see very routine. So I think it's, it can be really helpful to reach out to get some idea of, well, is, is what we're seeing just within the spectrum of what you would expect, or is this something that's really starting to interfere? And I think schools can be really good resources, particularly now, I think, you know, uh, schools increasingly develop programs really to address kids' mental health needs in a way that historically I don't think they necessarily did. And so I think schools can be really good resources. And then, you know, the going to your pediatrician or your family practitioner and say, you know, let, let's talk about what's going on and what do you think my options are and how concerned do you think I should be? And I, I think these can all be kind of touch points for families in understanding how concerned they should be, but also maybe what their their options are in terms of getting services. Because, you know, as a parent, you don't you don't know what 
you know, if your child maybe has anxiety, you have, don't have any idea how to get help for them. And that's where I think these, these other people can, other resources can help give you information. Thank you, Dr. Beck. Well worth mentioning. So, Devin, what about the rest of us? When is the time right for us grownups to see a mental health care provider? And how often or how long do people usually need to keep seeing one? I know that's a big question, but what do you see typically? Yeah, it is a, it is a big question. And I think it's pretty individualized. But I, I guess back to the original question of when to see a provider, I would say if you or someone close to you notices some diminished functioning or some negative changes in in your mood on a pretty consistent basis, you know, probably time to at least reach out to a provider to see if there's anything that can be done to to help you get feeling a little bit better. So it it really goes back to how you're functioning day to day. Um, And that can be the hardest step sometimes, as Dr. Beck mentioned. There's a lot of stigma, sometimes a lot of hurdles people need to jump through sometimes. But once that happens, usually folks start feeling better relatively quickly. And as far as for how long people need to keep seeing a provider for a mental health issue, it is pretty individual. But I do think that providers are really good at becoming a team with their patients and helping them understand what their warning signs might be once they have reached a a more stable place. So once you get to that stable place, as long as you're consistently touching base with your provider and you and your provider have a plan, hopefully that plan is to, to keep you functioning really, really well and healthy for a long time. So just keep touching base with that provider as as you and the provider have agreed. Great answer. Thank you so much, Devin. Now, Dr. Beck, maybe the toughest question of all. When seeking care results in a diagnosis, how does that impact the patient's quality of life going forward? What does it mean to live with a mental or behavioral health diagnosis today? That's a good point, Caitlin, because when I first started out in practice, I think there was this perception from non-behavioral health providers that, gee, you're working with people that don't get better. And I was like, well, actually, they do get better. (laughs) They get a lot better. (laughs) And I think part of it is kind of dovetailing on some things Devin said. If a person is experiencing, you know, emotional symptoms that are really interfering with different aspects of their life and, and they get help. Let's say it's on a, on a counseling level or a therapy level. Part of it's working with someone over a period of time so you and that person kind of understand what you need. And also, as Devin was saying, what, what are the warning signs? So maybe you hit kind of a rough spot and you work with someone for a period of time and then you're feeling a lot better. And then, you know, you stop therapy, but as Devin said, then you, you may say, okay, but we know that maybe holidays are, can be a difficult time, or, you know, there may be a time in a person's life that they start to struggle and just to know that they kind of have that resource. So I I don't think, you know, having a mental health diagnosis somehow means that, well, now you're not going to be able to accomplish the things you want to do in life. And I think even with people who have a, a, an illness 
or mental health symptoms, symptoms of depression or anxiety that may warrant a medication. And for the most part, the people I worked with did whatever they wanted to do. You know, I think the problem tends to be more if if people don't take their medicine or don't really follow up the way they need to, then I think you'll see maybe they have a relapse of a depression or relapse of a substance use, which can interfere. But in my experience, if someone says, gee, I have this particular set of symptoms of depression or anxiety, or my child has ADHD, and if they get a provider and work with them and, and find somebody that they trust and kind of work with them over time to see, well, what what's effective, what's not effective. Your mental health symptoms really don't have to change your life in a way that you don't want it to. Where I tend to see that happen would be more if someone just wouldn't take their medicine or wouldn't follow up and it would wait till they were in crisis. And then I think family members and job bosses can get frustrated if someone kind of keeps going into periods of time where they're not functioning very well and they're really not taking steps to help themselves. So part of it is, as, as I'm saying, kind of in summary, you know, find a provider you work with and follow through. And I think then you and that person can over time decide, well, what kind of what works for you? What do you need? What level of support do you need so that this doesn't interfere with your life? You know, just as if you had high blood pressure or diabetes or had a seizure disorder, you know, you need to have a provider and you need to see them. And you need to do what you need to do to take care of it. And then so it doesn't stop you from doing the things you want to do, being a parent or traveling or being successful at your job. I mean, it doesn't have to interfere. Very insightful. Thank you so much, Dr. Beck. And Devin, can you tell us what resources are available out there for providing behavioral health care and support, particularly for members of our health plans? Absolutely. So again, Hallie.com and the Hallie app are both great starting places. They have things specific to behavioral health and mental health on the app. But I do also want to mention care coordination again, because that is a resource for our health plan members in partnership with the treating providers treating you for a behavioral health issue. We can also support with care coordination if that's needed. So definitely worth checking out. And our team would love to be of support whenever possible. Well, thank you, Devin. That is some excellent information. Now, Dr. Beck, last question. In honor of Mental Health Awareness Month, if there's one thing about mental illness that you think people ought to be aware of, what would it be? I guess not to be afraid of it. I think it's it's common for people individually to be affected by, you know, symptoms of depression or anxiety or family members. And so I think it's to be open to it and open to ask questions or get help if you yourself are starting to struggle or if you see family members starting to struggle because there's a lot of help out there and there's a lot you can learn. And, and it doesn't have to be a defining situation in your life that's going to keep you from doing what you want to do. I mean, when I would work with kids in high school and they'd be going off to college and, you know, I would always say, whatever you do, don't stop what you're doing the first semester. You know, you, you, you need to make that transition. You need to take care of yourself and, you know, because there's, there's help and you can, you can do better. 
Well, thank you, Dr. Beck. Another amazing answer. And Devin, the same final question for you. May, being Mental Health Awareness Month, what would you like everybody to be aware of regarding mental health? Well, I don't think I'm going to top Dr. Beck's excellent answer, but I would just <laughs> add that uh, mental health truly is health care and to take it just as seriously as you would any other health issue and know that there's lots of great resources out there for whatever you may be experiencing. There's always a way to find help. Well, you both have truly just been wonderful guests. Thank you so much, Dr. Beck and Devin, for joining us today and for all you do every day at Health Alliance and Halley Health to help so many individuals and families throughout our communities. Dr. Beck and Devin will be returning as our guests in December to talk about coping with holiday stress. Stay tuned for that. And that concludes today's Halley HealthCast. Tune in next time as we tackle yet another topic important for your health and well-being. And remember, Halley Health is your partner in helping you live your healthiest life. Visit Halley.com. That's H-A-L-L-Y.com for resources, information, tips, and much more. Let us help keep you and your family healthy and well. Thanks for listening. We hope you tune in again.